1: And we're back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but man, oh man, do we have a really exciting show lineup for everyone tonight. I'm being joined by uh, Genevieve. Genevieve, I know you're, you're a bit yeah, under I'm, the weather. I'm feeling a bit <laughs> under the weather. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here uh, because tonight's guest, uh, I'm not just speaking for myself. That tonight's guest is definitely one of our favorite uh, authors with a very unique insight, I feel into matters that I think a lot of us don't get to experience. And we've had him on in the past, and I had a great time diving into some of these topics with him. And we also want to take the opportunity to let people know that he will be at this year's Contact in the Desert Conference happening May 31st through June 3rd at Indian Wells Resort and Spa, and uh, if you haven't been, I definitely urge people to go. I feel like Whitley. I listen from beginning to end. Yeah, one of the things that I love about Whitley is that he always has new information every time he he's at this conference. And like I said, I can't wait to uh, see what he has in store this year. Tonight, we're going to focus on his latest book, which is called The Afterlife Revolution. It was released in uh, 2017. And, man, it's probably one of the most fascinating books. So, without uh, further ado, let me uh, have Whitley join us. Whitley, can you hear us
0: okay? I certainly can.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show. Like I said, uh, we always have a blast uh, talking to you and and just uh, going down this rabbit hole of uh, mystery, really. To start off, I wanted to ask you something because you're you're one of those people that I appreciate... (laughs) their insights into current events. And there's a quote in your book that uh, if I may, I would like to read uh, where you talk about science. And uh, it says, Science is a great triumph of the human mind. For the past 300 odd years, it has been applying theory to detected phenomena and coming up with ever more accurate and useful insights. But when there is data, it doesn't know how to detect the system falters. It's funny because a couple of weeks ago, It was all over the news that we got our first glimpse at a black hole. And this had been just theoretical for many, many years. And it seems like science has validated it. Do you feel that we're entering an age of uh, apocalypse, an age where things that were previously unknown will be revealed to us and that science will be more of an ally than an obstacle?
0: Well, that's a good question. Science is a... um... It's a a system, a set of processes that are applied to observational material. In other words, once something is theorized or detected, and then detected, it can be analyzed. And the scientific method depends on both things. You must have theory, but you also must have something there. And the great difficulty with all of this material that lies outside of the physical world is that it's not detectable by any kind of scientific instrument we have because our science has never observed anything on a consistent basis that isn't part of the material world as we see it. I don't believe there is such a thing as a supernatural world. I don't think there's any split. I think that it's largely an issue of detection that we do not yet have the means to detect these other energies. And in part, it's because of them. Because you you get into a realm here where non-physical presence is intelligent and conscious. And it therefore may or may not want to be detected by the physical level. Now, getting back, though, to the idea of great change coming in Apocalypse, It could be that we are on the edge of extinction, that this planet is going to go through a really bad time, and we're going to either be beaten up badly or altogether disappear. And I think probably we're valued, in fact I know we are, from outside of the physical realm, and for all kinds of different reasons, some of them. reasons we would like and some of them are reasons we would not like. In any case, I think that door is going to open a little bit more. In fact, I'm working on a new book right now, which is about how to communicate, because I think that this might be kind of our last throw, Mm -hmm. that if we can get their help and their insights, we might be able to make some scientific advances that would enable us to communicate with them on a more uh, consistent basis and use whatever information they may have to offer to help us get out of the pickle we're in.
1: I can definitely get on board with what you're saying because it does feel like we're kind of at an apex in our human existence. And I think that really is a great segue to get into this book that you uh, recently published in 2017 called The Afterlife Revolution. Because to me, it really was revolutionary what you chronicle in this book. Something that is very interesting, and I want to give you a chance to explain to the folks listening, is that this book, unlike some of your previous books, was co-authored by your wife, Anne, who sadly passed away in 2015, two years before the book was released. Can you explain to people why she is a co-author in your latest
0: work? Well, what happened was this. Annie passed away in August of 2015. By that time in her life, Ann was what I would describe as a conscious being, much more aware of reality and the world around her than we generally are, and... uh a really enlightened person. And when it came time to die, she died consciously without fear. And the whole thing was remarkable in the sense that there were manifestations after Anne died that were similar to what are described as the emergence of the rainbow body in Tibetan Buddhism. It was no ordinary death because the first in... Rainbow body. When the soul leaves the body, the body is smaller and completely unrecognizable immediately, and that is exactly what happened with Annie. I was sitting in the living room with my daughter, grand, uh, my daughter-in-law, and my son when I suddenly heard Annie in my head say, "Witty, I'm dying right now," and I rushed into the bedroom and laid my hand on her heart and said goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And after a few more beats, her heart stopped. And suddenly, I was not looking at Ann anymore. The face, the body had completely changed. It was just shocking. i never seen anything like it. But we you know, I haven't had too many, I've had three or four experiences with people who died before my eyes no one ever changed like that then when uh i as she was taken away that evening a strange sort of mist kind of surrounded the whole area and my son and i was so confused we took a picture of the hearse leaving inside this mist which i still have then a few days later when we were going to her wake rainbow after rainbow appeared in the sky it was it was certainly possible it was a, one of those skies that could produce rainbows an unsettled sky in other words but there were just so many one after another and as we drove along the highway we took pictures of them and it occurred to me then this is the, all these three things are the main signs of this transformation and i was deeply in grief at the time and Forgot about it, put it out of my mind. But then, let me back up a minute. The night she died, at seven fifteen, I believe it was seven forty-five. I was just sitting there by nine thirty, just disconsolate, almost unable to move. When the phone rang, and I thought, "Oh God, the last thing I want to do is answer the phone," but I answered it anyway. And it was a friend, Bell Fuller, who said, "Whitley." I just had the funniest thing happen. I heard Ann tell me to call you. So is she all right? She, Belle knew she was ill. And I said, Belle, Anne died about an hour and a half ago. That was the first time. Then a few days later, I was out in Palm Springs with my kids, and we were in the mountains above the city. They were hiking, and I was sitting on a bench just wishing that I had some sign from Ann. My phone rang. And it was Claire Henry in Nashville, William Henry's son's, uh, some of you, I mean, sis, wife. Some of you may have heard of the Henry's. They're, if you haven't, go to williamhenry.net and you will find something truly beautiful. In any case, she said, Whitley, I just had something odd happen. I heard Anne's voice in my ear very clearly tell me to call you. And that those were just two of what became... In Dr. Gary Schwartz, who's an expert on the, afterlife, the whole afterlife business, said was one of the best documented cases of an afterlife return that he'd ever heard of. And he wrote a forward to the book for that reason. But um, I realized eventually that Anne was doing this. And, and I rem- remembered that back in the 90s, when she was reading all the communion letters and realizing that the dead and the visitors are all mixed up together. It's all kind of one thing. She came out of her office and said, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. And at our cabin, people would often see their dead friends and relatives in the context of multiple witness close encounter experiences. So obviously there was a connection. And Anne and I talked about it, and we decided that the first one of us to die would try to contact the other one, but not directly through friends who we had told nothing about any of this, because both of us are too skeptical. We would never, I would never have believed if she tried to contact me directly, because I would have thought it was my own imagination. Right. So, eventually, I remembered that, or I think I remembered it. it. It's it was just a brief conversation. It couldn't have lasted more than ten minutes at most, but I'm pretty sure I've remembered the gist of it. And I thought to myself, my God, she's doing it. This is what we talked about all those years ago. And it went on like that, and it developed into a direct relationship that has gone on ever since. In fact, on my website, unknowncountry.com, just a week or so ago, I published some things that Anne said to me. Uh, She's still very much present, very much and I think our dead all are present. And I think that the close, a lot of the close encounter experience is about removing this veil, which is really more of a wall between the living and the dead, because I don't think that's present in the visitors. I think the living and the dead have no veil between them, the souls that are in bodies and the souls that are not. And I don't think there's any reason for us to have such a veil either. And where we're going, the direction we're going in, is to a much larger species that extends across what is now a boundary between the living and the dead and a whole different kind of mankind. One of the things that
1: you mention is the visitors, and I really wanted to touch on that really quick because we're talking about life, death, and the afterlife. So how do the visitors uh, play into this cycle or at least what I'm assuming, is our cycle of existence?
0: Well, that's an awfully big question, and I would not presume to be able to answer it fully. I can tell you directionally where I think this may be going. They are a larger consciousness than we are, and they live in part in the physical world, but also elsewhere. And I have been in my life... Out- Of my body a number of times i've never been able to get out on my own unfortunately but i have been taken out five or six times conscious of it and in fact have been seen by people when i was out of my body i ended up to my great horror and embarrassment standing in linda Moulton house bedroom back when she lived in denver and she saw me and of course she was shocked out to her core because she didn't expect to see that in the middle of the night and so that was one and then there was a um radio announcer roy leonard who's passed on sadly uh, who had a show in chicago and i was in my hotel room and suddenly i found myself standing over someone i didn't know who they were looking down at them a man who was asleep and his eyes were sort of half open and um then it you know it went away and i woke up the next morning i hardly even thought of it as a dream i i remembered it but that was all and i got to the tv radio studio and just before we went on the air he said by the way what were you doing in my bedroom in the middle of the night last night <laughs> and then we went on and he asked about it on the air and i i didn't know what to say i was so i was so embarrassed i, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of what to say And then more recently, uh, I went out of my body during a conference, a scientific conference, and these were all scientists who would really have benefited from seeing that because it would be something concrete for them. And so I ended up out of my body at four o'clock in the morning, taken out at this point. It's very, it's very specific what happens. That When I'm taken out, there's a loosening along the spine. Uh, I, you can feel something opening up along the spine, and then you can just roll out. But until that happens, I can't get out. When I, it does happen, it's a completely clean break, and my consciousness comes with me. In any case, I didn't realize at first that I was out of my body. and I found myself in the hallway at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the doors all had spring locks in the handle. So I couldn't get back into my room. And I thought, Oh my God, how have I in the world? Have I sleepwalked? And then I was gliding and I realized, Oh my God, I'm OBE. How fun. And the first thought was, I've got to wake some of these people up in this state because I know I can be seen in it sometimes. And I went into one room and the guy was totally dead asleep. You can't do it. You can't shake anyone or say anything. So I tried another room, but there was a lady in it, and I thought, maybe not that, because that's going to cause there's an extra level of problems that would <laughs> arise if she sees a guy standing over her. Right. Anyway, I don't know how to wake her up, and she's asleep too. So I went into the third room, and there was a man there on his side with his eyes sort of open. I know all these people. they were not they were all friends. I knew exactly who they all were. Um, and he suddenly obviously sees me. And I found I was able to converse with him. It was a very profound conversation. In many ways, it changed his life. And then, as he put it, when it was over, there went Whitley out up through the ceiling, which I did, and there was a whole other level of the thing that I needn't go into now. But in any case, uh, when I got back in my body and went out to breakfast, of course, he had texted all of his friends at the conference about what happened. It was, everyone was talking about it. And it was done so that these scientists, who are all engaged in areas that are very close to what would be soul science if we had such a thing, could experience this and know this, that it is possible, and that there's something real there
1: that 's really you know mind blowing and just now that you were describing the, how the process of uh, having these out of body experiences, if I may share. An experience I had myself really quick because one of the things that I found really, I mean, the first few chapters of your book are probably some of the most beautiful yet difficult chapters to, for me to, to get through. Um, and I encourage everybody to, to grab a copy if they don't have one already. One of the things that stood out to me was the love between you and Anne. And I remember, it was 2012, and I I was doing a a form of meditation, if you will, and I had I guess you can call it an out of body experience. It almost felt like a near death experience, although I wasn't, you know, like actually in any type of medical distress. But I do remember very clearly feeling like I was leaving my body through the nape of my neck the back the base of where your neck and your spine yeah
0: then it was real because that's where you leave that's exactly where you leave wow
1: okay because what happened next totally blew my mind which was um i felt myself be like this shapeless blob if you will but it seemed like i had 360 degree awareness of everything and i was in this big you know it looked like an airplane hangar room with a single light bulb in the center of this room and i remember moving towards it and once i was under this light i felt myself being in the presence of some someone or something very old and very wise and it was almost like they were welcoming me to ask a question or something and the first thing well, and probably I, were right and 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 the first thing that popped into my head was to ask what is love Because I feel like I've been going about it all wrong my whole life. And at that point, I was shown from the moment I was born to that point in my life, the moments where this idea and the concept of love was misconstrued and uh, mutated into something that it isn't. And when I was reading your book, it seemed like love, it seems to be a very powerful force and a powerful energy that we as humans somehow possess and have. So, I wanted to tell or ask you, does love transcend this physical experience? And what is love? I know this is a huge, huge question, and I apologize, but what is love to you? How would you define it considering what you have experienced in your life up to this point?
0: Anne said that at the base of reality, there is a yearning, and this yearning is what makes the real world a yearning and as she left this world she did something that an, another friend of ours had done during his life uh, as he died a very remarkable experience a book came out of the shelf in the uh, one of our in our library called physics from fisher information it's a book basically about the information that underlies reality and how what it is. And it was she had opened it as she as she disappeared she was no longer physically able to move she was already she was just as, this happened as she was leaving as she was already in sold. and it opened it to a page that said that the universe emerged out of a single primordial quest for knowledge. And these are the things, I think, that are relevant here. Because when you talk about love, we have to see beyond physical attraction and propinquity or sexuality. There's a deeper love. And it is not simply confined to human beings. It's everywhere. Everyone is participating in it. And if you open yourself through living a life of compassion, humility, and love, then you eventually you begin to become aware of the fact that you were part of it all along. Right. And you become that love. Like Annie says, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. She said it after she died. She said, enlightenment is what happens when there is nothing left of us but love.
1: Wow, that is that is very, very beautiful. Is death something that we should fear?
0: The ego, which is where we are. I mean, I'm Whitley and we're all ourselves, actually does die. It dies when the body dies and it knows that and it is scared. But there are other levels that do not die. There's a second body, an energetic body that does not die. It instead is this is the part that communicates the experiences of life through to the soul and when the physical body dies that's what leaves it when you have an out of body experience that's what what's moving around out of your body the soul is a much larger presence that will eventually come into contact and absorb all of the experiences of second body and the whole life into its journey and it's a huge journey souls are not little things They are concentrations of consciousness that have arisen for many, many different reasons, and each of us is connected to one. Uh, So, yeah, we're afraid of death, but we have no real reason to be, because uh, the, the, the ego may die when the brain dies, but its resonance lives on, in second body, and then finally in the soul. In that sense, we do not die.
1: Mr. Schreiber, I know I know we're we're running short on time, so I just got a couple of more questions to ask you. For the folks that don't know you, you have a show uh, that people can catch as a podcast called Dreamland, and your website Unknown Country is a is a great resource. And I'm actually subscribed to your newsletter, and I and I love getting it. You you always uh, cover some very fascinating topics, and in a recent newsletter. You wrote about an interview you conducted with uh, Dr. Susan B. Martinez, who published a book called A Field Guide to the Spirit World, The Science of Angel Power, uh, Entities, and Demonic Possessions. I'm sorry if I got the title wrong a bit there. Uh, you wrote the foreword for that book, and it tackles a very important topic, which is are there entities that we should be uh, careful you know, if we encounter them, and how, how does one know? if the entity might not have the best intentions?
0: Oh, I think you'll know right away. Uh, personally, I never worry about that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm just here doing what I'm doing. And every once in a while, something has happened that, that seems rather frightful to me, but you know, I just bowl my way through it. Basically, uh, I'm not stopping and I'm not going to be scared off by looming dark entities or anything like that. Um, Mm-hmm. If I eventually get dragged off to perdition by a giant Spider-Man or something, well, too bad. <laughs> I made a mistake. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm, You know, I, I never worry about that, frankly. I don't think it's a very meaningful thing to worry about. I mean, if we don't know, mm-hmm. why worry? There's nothing to worry about.
1: True. Very true. And uh, before I let you go, there's one quote that I've heard you say on several occasions, which I, you know, I always... Well, the first time I heard it, I, I found it extremely fascinating. And shortly after that, I read your book, uh, The Key, which was published in 2001. And we, honestly, I mean, that book gave me so much to think about. For the people that haven't checked it out, definitely go check it out. Uh, it would take a whole other show to go into it. But I believe it was this quote was also in the book. And it was told to you by a mysterious gentleman that appeared to you one night. And the quote is... And I apologize if my paraphrasing is, is poor, and feel free to correct me, but it's, it's I believe it was, uh, sin is the denial of the right sin to thrive. Sin is denial
0: of the right to thrive. Yes,
1: yes. And I found that to be such a profound statement. Can you, you know, before we, we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about who said that to you, and what does that mean? Because it, it just, it, it really <laughs> blows my mind.
0: Sure. I don't know who it was. I wish I did. <laughs> I have, you know, the morning after, the first thing I did was I called Anne, and I said that this had happened and don't let me decide it didn't happen because I have a definite tendency to reject the unknown. We all do. And so she kept me at it from 1998 till 2000 when she finally said, Whitley, you've got your notes, you sit down and you write that all out. And I said, well, I'm not even sure it happened. She said, yes, you are. You told me the next morning to not let you do this. So you sit down and you get writing, and I did. Uh, what happened was I was on an author tour in Toronto. It was the last night of the author tour, and there came a knock at the door of my hotel room. I thought it was the room service waiter, and I let this person in, and instead, he walked over to the window, turned around, and started talking. And I, I was about to throw him out because it was very late. It was like uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I, I thought, my God, I've let a fan into my room at 1 o'clock in the morning. This can't <laughs> be good. But then he said something absolutely extraordinary about the Holocaust. He said that because of the Holocaust, a child had not been born who would have understood the secret of gravity, and for that reason, mankind remains chained to the earth. And I was taken aback by that. I, I'd never heard anything like that before in my life. So I, I started a conversation with him because I, you know, I, I went from "get out of here" to "I don't want you to leave." Right. And we talked for maybe thirty minutes or so, forty-five minutes at most. And among the things he said was sin is denial of the right to thrive, which in my opinion is one of the great moral statements because this right to thrive, it's, not, it's more than just the right to... In other words, just by ignoring the world around us, we don't live enough of a life. This is saying that you have to proactively engage in the process of a thriving living community and to me that means all life that that we are shepherds here and denial of this job as a shepherd of life is sinful and that's why when somebody when you know we people say they don't believe in this global warming which is real quite real i mean the science is undeniable It's a sinful thing, I mean, to do it in public and to try to convince other people not to believe in it. uh, That's very sinful because it's going to lead to the deaths of many, many of our children. Um, It's denial of the right to thrive.
1: Wow. I remember the first time you said that at one of your presentations, actually at at a previous Contact in the Desert conference, And then after that, I I picked up, like I said, a copy of The Key, and I found the quote there. And a great book, a great book. I definitely encourage people to to
0: pick it up. You can live by that quote. You just have to work (laughs) at it because you have to keep examining yourself. Am I doing this? What am I doing to make this a thriving world and a thriving life for everyone around me? And what am I doing to impede that?
1: It's true. And first chance I had, I wanted to definitely ask you about it. So thank you for that reply. Sure. Um, Now, you're going to be at contact in the desert coming up here in just a few weeks. I mean, it's crazy that we're so close. And like like I said at the top of the show, you're one of our favorite speakers. You always bring new information. And uh, this year I was just looking at the schedule and I see that one of your lectures is going to be on, the the title is Wild and Wonderful UFO
0: and Alien Videos.
1: Uh, can you just tell yeah. us a little bit about what you're going to be covering there?
0: Yeah, I've got a couple of very interesting alien videos. Uh, they weren't made by me, but there are two of them, possibly a third, that I believe to be pretty much authentic. And they're not like, they're not like anything you might expect, so they'll be interesting. And I'm going to run those, and also some UFO photos and videos, but mainly I'm going to talk about thinking about this and understanding the how it can be real and ambiguously unreal at the same time. And I'm going to illustrate this with, talk with the illustrations I just mentioned. Should be interesting. There won't have ever been another, you would never have heard another talk about UFOs like this one, I can assure you.
1: Well, it sounds really exciting and we look forward to checking it out. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe people can uh, check out your podcast, Dreamland, through your website on Known Country. Is that where people can go and uh, Yeah,
0: they can find Dreamland, or they can simply go to Alexa and say, Alexa, play Dreamland. And it will come up, or you can listen on TuneIn Radio. Just go to TuneIn Radio and search for Dreamland. Uh, there's lots of places. It's all on the website. Uh, go to unknowncountry.com and click on the Dreamland tab, and you can take it from there. Awesome. You watch it, listen on YouTube, too.
1: Very cool. Uh, Whitley, what can I say? It's always a treat to get a chance to talk to you, and I definitely urge people to pick up The Afterlife Revolution. It, it, it will literally, in my opinion, change your life, or at least give you a brand-new perspective on, on some of these matters. And uh, the other book I mentioned here tonight, The Key, I, I can't stress enough, that was another that I quickly got in my top five <laughs> Whitley Streeper books, I'll say that. It's such a great, great book. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight, Whitley. We really appreciate it. Thank
0: you for having me. I appreciate it also.
1: And that was uh, the author Whitley Strieber. It's always a treat. Uh, He just has a a wealth of information on so many matters that I think many of us are just benefited by by just his knowledge and just the way that he can uh, uh, explain and interpret some of this phenomena that uh, it's unexplained. And with that said, tonight. You know, it was a it was a short one, but it was great. We covered a lot. And uh, I definitely want to encourage people, if they haven't bought their tickets, definitely buy your tickets for Contact in the Desert 2019, happening at Indian Wells this May 31st through June 3rd. They're going to have some amazing speakers. Uh, obviously, George Norrie is going to be there for all the Coast to Coast AM fans. Uh, Graham Hancock will be there. Whitley, of course, is going to be there. There's going to be uh, just something for everybody. So definitely check out the website, com to get your tickets. It's not too late yet. And let me tell you, USA Today called it the Woodstock of, uh, of UFO conventions. And boy, were they right, because we always have a blast at Contact in the Desert. And uh, we know this year will be uh, just as good, if not better. Now, we're going to go out with uh, a trio from Texas. And I remember the first time I heard their album, I thought it was like just the coolest thing. You know, they took Texas blues, mixed it with Tex-Mex, and they called it Texican style. These are the Lonely Boys. And the song is called How Far Is Heaven? Take care. Be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. Genevieve, thank you for joining me tonight. I know uh, it was a bit joining difficult. Joining at least <laughs> time. Appeared, but
0: um, (laughs) you made an appearance.
1: I'll give you the standard goodbye, and I hope I don't mess up three words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll do fine. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye bye.
0: Bye. West of the Rockies with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM, Los Angeles.